We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 235 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Matt, we got plenty to get to today. The Bears with a thrilling win against the Seahawks that made me feel absolutely nothing because I have a uh, bankrupt return system when it comes to this Chicago uh, Bears team, but uh, that's not my own fault. That's theirs. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit. We'll talk a little a bowl preview as uh, New Year's Eve and the semifinals are upon us, as well as some exciting New Year's Six action as well. The Bulls continue to do their thing. We will touch on that as well. We'll give you some locks of the week, but I must... Uh, I must proceed here, Matt, not with our traditional mm-hmm. question of how the hell are you, but um, I must proceed here with a uh, with more of a just a, just a blanket statement of I have no idea what happened over the last week in the world yeah. of sport. Like I watched it all, but I am. But did uh, you consume I, it? I, I don't know how, how much I downloaded yeah. it to my, my brain. Uh, I am freshly out of health and safety protocols myself. Uh, apologies if you can hear any of it in my voice, but uh, oh, you sound dynamite. good. We're feeling good. We're looking better, and we're on to week seventeen. So, Matt Rooney, how the hell are you? I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm happy to hear you're doing well, Joe. That's that's uh, that's number one. Good. Uh, I'm 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 fine myself. Luckily, as far as I know, uh, I, I've I've avoided the health and safety protocols. Um, that's good. Who knows at this point with how quickly this one seems to be spreading? What's been in and out of my system? But as far as I know. Uh, happy, healthy. Got to have a nice little Christmas with the family. It was it was a smaller Christmas, but. Uh, had a nice little holiday. How was your uh, How was your quarantine Christmas with the? Uh, it was. Shelby? It was. It was exactly how it sounds. It was a quarantine Christmas. Uh, Shelby and I were both positive. We did you uh, Did you feel like were you, were you feeling it really bad? Or were you just kind of a little like there were feeling two a days. Icky? Of, there were two days of of the flu. Like okay. like sore body. Didn't really want to get off the couch. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing to write home about. Nothing to um, to worry about to any sort of uh, grave extent. It was just like being sick on Christmas. Regard, call it COVID, call it whatever you want. It, being yeah. sick on it's Christmas uh, was no fun. So we hung out. We watched. Uh, she watched every minute of every football game that was on this weekend. So God bless her. She got the full experience. She's a trooper. Of, of what a weekend in the life of Joe Musso is like in, in consuming that football. Um, watched a lot of movies. Of course, I, I really um, – I, I sort of cooked in the face of tyranny is how I'm going to refer to it. I On Christmas Eve, that was day two of – excuse me, that was day three and kind of felt like I had maybe turned a little corner, no longer mm-hmm. was feeling like uh, couch-ridden. Yeah. So got up on my feet. Luckily, okay. I had grocery shopped prior to getting sick. I made us a proper uh, Christmas Eve feast, there you uh, go. as any it. as any upstanding Italian would. Um, we opened up with uh, we opened up in the morning with some fantastic um, bacon, egg, and cheese on sourdough. Just a mm. really nice, just a really nice breakfast sandwich. Um, from there, the we kind of hung out, had some stuff on TV. The charcuterie board came out around noon. Started picking describe up your charcuterie board for me. We had on prosci- a, a Joe Musso charcuterie. We had prosciutto. Board. We had uh, we had been gifted a, a hard salami, uh, so kind of cut that into little pepperoni slices. So those were your two meat options. I'm impressed that. By the way, I don't mean to interrupt. I, I'm, uh-huh. I'm impressed that you had this much 
like that you not that you went grocery shopping luckily beforehand, but that you had the elements for a charcuterie board just standard sitting well, around. Like, no, usually that's a we got to go to the store for that. No, but I did that was I had already gone to the store to do my Christmas ah okay got two it, got days it. prior okay, to Christmas Eve because you know you gotta you gotta put you gotta reserve your lobster tails you gotta do all, you, you know you, there's a lot that goes into it. So the thought process had started running before I popped positive mm-hmm. okay. uh, the day prior. Luckily, I got it all done. Um, so we. Uh, we were oh charcuterie board charcuterie. um just got through the meats board, you just cut the salami. Uh, went through the meats cheese wise we had uh obviously the king of cheeses uh, uh, a nice parmesan uh, mm. piece there that we were digging into shelby loves a goat cheese had a little goat cheese option there as well as well as a uh it was a sharp cheddar but it, it had something else to it it was nice like almost like a smoky sharp cheddar those were our cheeses and uh had a little uh, side of um, manuka honey, you know, for everybody's throats on the side. To, well, there to you have go. Like yeah. A little drizzle of honey on top of things. Shelby doesn't like olives. It's a sin. Had a nice olive assortment as well. Melissa uh, coming, does not like olives either. Coming out of – yeah, I don't know what that's about. Coming I'm not a out fan, of, but I've never really tried them. But I don't coming, like <laughs> Jesus. Coming out of the charcuterie board, we went into a uh, – I just, you know, I like trying something. I like trying to make something new. Um, so I made us crispy rice and spicy salmon. So I bought a nice okay. piece of sushi grade salmon, pulsed that with, uh, you know, with your sriracha, a bit of mayo, a bit of soy sauce, um, some sesame oil, and then fried up little, um, little bricks of. Uh, white sushi rice that you then serve that um, salmon mix on top of it. It was a lovely, it was a lovely iteration. Coming out of that, we went in. I want to try that crispy rice. I've seen that going around oh, places. Like it, if you see it, it, it looks if you very out, good. If you go out for sushi, get it at the sushi restaurant. Like okay. they do it so good. They do it in the deep fryer. Mine was good, but like I'm not deep frying here. I just yeah. I mean you're using it, it on the you know on still the got pan, a nice right? crunch. Still got a good crust. Um, I'd like to tweak a couple things about my salmon mix next time I go at it, but. Fantastic. Oh, you finish that with a nice little thin slice of jalapeno on top just for a little kick in, kick in your britches, you know? Uh, like coming, coming out of that, we went into some uh, little vongole, small clams in a white wine sauce. That's super easy to do. Serve that little crostini on the side. That was lovely. And then your main course, which is the lobster diavolo, which is a spicy red sauce that I cooked throughout the day um, with – Whatever kind of leftover clam juice you had from the clam dish, that goes in. I also throw in a little bottle of clam juice. Just to give it a little a – little, just, a, just a taste of the sea in there. Just a little fish. I don't like saying fishiness because that's a negative connotation. Yeah. Just I know little, what you mean. A little, a little seafood brightness flavor. in there. Gotcha. A little seafood flavor. Um, with the lobster, you cut them down the back. You open the shell. You saute the lobster in nice butter white wine. Then that butter white wine lobster sort of shell reduction goes into the sauce as well. Then the tails, you take them out right before they're finished. You finish them in the sauce for about 10, 15 minutes before you serve. You serve it over a nice bed of linguine, and that is, uh, that is your Christmas Eve feast. I like that. Yeah, um, so mine was is, mine was very Irish. We had steak and potatoes. It looked fantastic. It's <laughs> what the tom- tomahawk talk. Uh, tomahawk, <laughs> we're gonna have to we're gonna have to round. We're gonna have to come first. Back uh, to at some point, we uh, we need to do some sort of collaboration here. I need. To, I've heard for years now between your descriptions sure. and obviously your, your mom's been cutting my hair for years now. So we we talk mm-hmm. about you know the when the holidays come around, what we're eating all that. I've heard about the, the lobster uh, diavolo dish like mm-hmm. for four years now. 
at some point I'm going to have to try that. Even if it's so, just the leftovers from one of your Christmas feasts, I'm going to, I'm going to need your mom to maybe bring, <laughs> bring that to the salon one day. Or I'm going to need now, to come over or something. That's something, interestingly enough, that's something that Deb has never cooked in my memory. Okay. That was dad. She, makes it on, she, dad she, makes, she has mentioned that, that that's yours and your dad's thing. That's Dad awesome. makes it on Christmas Eve and that torch was passed to me about four or five years ago. So when I am home for the holiday, I make that dish for the family like now, and um, we've we've taken it, we've taken it, and we've run with it. So I had to keep that tradition alive here at home. Uh, Joe and Deb are coming out to visit in about a week, week and a half, and it's been put on request that because I was not home, that I have to make it again. Oh. Uh, while they're That's here, good. we're going to do yeah. that for dinner one night. So that'll be my first. I, I only know it as a Christmas Eve dish, so I'm hoping it has the same. Uh, it it'll the still, same uh, it'll still effect. have the same magic. Yeah, Don't worry. Non-holiday, Don't you worry. But, uh, but, uh, this yeah, will be so your got, Christmas Eve. I mean, really, it's, so it's you Christmas Eve with the family. In, uh, just a day, or just a week later. If you want to jump on a quick flight out here, you're more than happy to have a plate with us. Uh, um, you know, I will be in California. I'll be on the opposite opposite end of the country. Worst places. Uh, you worst know, but places. Uh, I'll, I'll survive out there. Maybe I'll find a lobster yeah. diavolo on the menu and order that. In your there order. you go. Uh, uh, we uh, had. I, 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 my one critique of my my tomahawk performance. I, I could okay. have gone with a little bit more char. I didn't quite get the. My mom has, yeah, so it wasn't like, luckily my mom had a, I think we talked like a big cast iron griddle. So it wasn't the, your your cast iron skillet where the tomahawk bone wouldn't fit in. I was able to lay it down. I didn't quite get it hot enough. I really, next time I think what I need to do is let that skillet sit on, you know, high heat on that stove for a lot longer. You see a little hint. Yeah, you need, you need, you need that oil to start smoking a little bit. And that's when you kind of let it on there and need to let it on there longer. Your sear doesn't set at minute 10. Like your sear is largely determined by the second that thing mm-hmm. hits the pan. That's why you need to have a dry piece of meat as well because any yeah. water, any like moisture on the meat will also screw up your sear, give you sort mm-hmm. of a gray sear rather than that like charred almost yeah, the, the black brown one on yeah. the edges. Um, but it looked fantastic. How did the, uh, how did the Cajun one go? You know, we, we ended up only having one of us. Uh, it was one, made one of them. Mike um, had some. Ended up not going to uh, dinner with us because he had been in, in some close contacts. So he was being overly cautious. So it was just the four of us. So yeah. with with just my parents and me and Alyssa making two of them didn't make sense. What I did do instead with the, the butcher shop we ordered from Whittingham Meats on the south side, I got uh, since my my mother was kind enough to pay, I threw threw in some fillet threw in some fillets for my father there because he's a big fan of their fillets. So you instead of it. making the two tomahawks, I made one tomahawk and a couple fillets, and we just kind of divided those all all amongst. Well, that uh, sounded like a it ended up going well though. Joe, the the meat thermometer is. I know we've we've talked about the meat thermometer is just a cheat code. It's a game changer. There's now, no reason. Feel, like, did you feel like you were cheating? Like, I, I no, I, feel I, like- I because I because it's. I feel like when, when you it, hit a certain weight piece of meat, you're good. Yes, you're in the clear. That is, but like, if, we're not if, putting meat thermometers into like a into like no, a twelve if I, ounce. If I'm uh, if New I'm York making my trip, if know? I'm making myself a ribeye at home or a fillet at home or whatever, I'm gonna I'll eyeball that to figure. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. maybe sometimes if you have you know a super thick fillet. I don't mind, you know, getting the meat thermometer. That's a good in there point because they're just okay. kind of like softballs, yeah. Yeah, like if you got something that thick, it doesn't really matter how like big it is. If, if it's that like thick, it's going to take a little bit longer to cook, and it's going to be harder to eyeball. Yeah. Um, but no, if I'm cooking like a ribeye or a strip for myself, we're just gonna we're gonna eyeball that, and then we'll we'll eat it there. But uh, the, the the tomahawk turned out well. I was proud of myself. Have some critiques. 
Want to go with a little, want to, want to try some, just went salt, pepper. I did get, did go with a little bit of pepper this time. I eased off it though, because of mm-hmm. as your advice, you know, that tends to burn a little bit. Basically just went some, some salt, some pepper threw some clarified butter on top there at the advice of a friend of the podcast, Tim Rooney said that, would, that. would really get that thing come out glistening. So that's what we did. Uh, just, we put it in the oven, rubbed it down with some rosemary butter. When it came out, some melted rosemary butter, let it set, ended up being perfect. Oh, sounds fantastic. Sounds like the proper way to celebrate. I'm glad that despite the uh, the wave in COVID that we were able to celebrate in some way, shape, or form and that for that we uh, we are thankful. We're also thankful for Demir Bird, I guess. I mean Are we regardless regardless of <laughs> regardless Are we really? Of, I, I mean it was a cool it was it was a really cool catch to win a football game. And just at the at the basis of it all, like uh, that was that was I don't know. Was that the highlight of the season? Like, it's hard to even call it that. Um, no, the highlight of the season was a loss in Pittsburgh that Justin Fields looked really darn good in. That's the yeah. highlight of the season still, and it's hard yeah, for I me guess so. to come up um, with a different one. I'm not going to argue with anything because it's been a season of nothing but lowlights. But uh, I, I saw a lot of people on the outside looking in, and not that we're on the inside, but we do have a, uh, a bias built in, and we are Bears fans, and we do kind of wear it on our sleeves. But I saw a lot of people, and again, specifically, Giants fans that I work with and that I follow and I'm sort of close to that media sector now um, people who were comparing the two which they, there is a direct comparison to be made there but the fact that people were giving Matt Nagy credit because the Bears were still out there playing football like still like the Giants have the Giants have packed it and the Giants are on vacation already and despite them being a four-win football team Excuse me. Despite the Bears being a four-win football team, they were out there on the road in the snow, giving their best effort. Now their mm-hmm. best effort might not be all that good, but um, something about the group of guys, maybe something about the. Co- I don't want to give the coach any credit in in that department. I think that's just the group of guys that recognizes, like we talked about last week, the talent in the locker room, and it's it's a disservice to them to not at least go out there and put that talent on display in some shape mm-hmm. or form. Um, rather than a coach getting the most out of a team, because I, I I don't feel like that's what we saw in Seattle. Um, I also don't feel like it was any justification of having uh, Nick Foles be a six million dollar third stringer. If anything, it was an indictment of going out and getting. Uh, that's why you pay him the big bucks. Of going out and getting Andy Dalton. Um, so I don't know. It's just like there are so many different ways to frame the uh, inadequacies of this football team. It was nice for them to go on the road and get a win, but this doesn't change anything to me. I just watching that game. First, I I I don't think Matt Nagy's a good coach. I think he deserves to be fired and all that kind of stuff. I I do think where I I I would say the fact that the Bears are still playing and seeing what David Montgomery and some some of the other guys said in the press cut, like I don't doubt that the guys are playing for him and that they like him as a person and they don't want him to be like. They still want to play for their coach because they do think they truly like the guy. So I don't think it's technically a, a giant situation where Joe Judge kind of treats them a little bit like college program, makes them run all these laps and stuff. And I think they're kind of done with the guy, even though it sounds like he's coming back next year. Um, I also think something had to do with that. Like you saw a lot of guys and probably wrongfully, not even probably wrongfully so, like you saw Jermaine Effetti get the start at right tackle. You saw Artie Burns getting a whole lot of run at corner like Nagy's still trying to win games, and a lot of those guys out there were guys on one-year deals still playing for jobs. 
So yeah. that's part of the reason why you're seeing some of those big efforts is because Artie Burns in week 15, if he has a good game on a one-year deal, is probably going to get himself a contract with the Browns or the Bengals or someone next year, another one-year deal, and give himself a chance to keep playing. Same thing with Jermaine Effetti. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to take anything really from that game. I, I, thought, I mean, Thomas Graham got burned early on, but it, it, the decision to let him go. First off, it was his first possession, even though his second possession game not starting him was ridiculous. But yeah. letting him go press man one-on-one with arguably the best receiver and getting off press coverage in the NFL and one of the fastest in the NFL in DK Metcalf and, and giving him no help over the top, that was an interesting choice to try and put your player in the best position to succeed. But other than that, I thought he was fine. <laughs> um, again, like, was he great? No, but as he showed that he probably shouldn't have been on a practice squad and there's no reason not to give him some reps throughout the year. Absolutely. Like it's seeing some of these young guys like play and look okay. And all that kind of stuff. It's just more reason for me to scratch my head is like, what, what's, what's going on with these decisions and personnel and what are they seeing at practice that they can't, that worse that, you know, that they can't see, what are they not seeing in practice that we're seeing in a couple reps on Sundays? Like, it's it just the decision-making everywhere is like we've said all year, it's a cluster. And I, I just, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to feel. I wasn't really happy. I mean, I'm sure I did like a little fist pump when Demir bird caught that ball, but like, I wasn't happy. No, I, I felt nothing. Like, I felt nothing. If anything, yeah. I'd question why I didn't feel anything. I was like, what has this team done to me? It's, it's strange because like there's still guys like we've said like there's still guys on that team I want to root for still guys that I think like David Montgomery like that guy's playing his ass off for with yeah. they, he's he's not playing for a contract anymore he's not like he's he needs to stay healthy and get it next year he's he's he established himself as a running back number one he's still running his ass off every day like you have guys on the offensive line who are good play. Like, there's pieces to root for it's just like when David Montgomery rips off a 12 yard run I just feel nothing. And that makes me sad. <laughs> oh goodness! Um, yeah, it's that's that's just where we're at. It's uh, there's nowhere to go except uh, crossing the finish line and limping there. Nonetheless, uh, it's the Giants this week, so it's another opportunity for a win against the. Bad They're gonna team. win it, and then it's, Matt, it's and the, he's gonna it, keep his job. Yeah, but you know, you know, you're gonna get the Giants best punch. Obviously, it's a zero sum game for them because they. What is Mike Glennon's game. best punch? But I, I, okay, I'm just outlining. Sorry, the scenario. sorry, I couldn't. I'm just outlining the scenario there. in terms of them having the Bears pick in the first round next yeah. year. So if they beat the Bears, that pick gets better, but theirs in turn gets worse. If they lose to the Bears, their pick gets better, and our, the one that they own from us gets worse. So it's I don't know if it's a zero sum game technically speaking, but um, I don't know what the best case scenario is for the Giants. Yeah, honestly, the best the best case scenario tie? for the Bears is Mike Glennon comes in and beats Ryan Pace, yeah. and is the final nail in the coffin for yeah, Ryan like, Pace's career. Really bring it many, full circle. How many Bears quarterbacks? Like, is Dalton going to be the backup? Is he going to be help? Like, who's going to like? Can we see Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, and Mike Glennon play football in the same field on Sunday? Hopefully not. That means a lot of things went wrong, but. Uh, but there is a there is a a world that that occurs in which we have to see all of the ineptitude of this front office in one place. Um, so uh, it should be a fun Sunday, should it not? Yeah. Do we know anything about Fields? Is he back? Not, not back. Again. Anything? Nothing. I haven't seen I'm anything. Back, so Fair I couldn't enough. tell you. 
I haven't seen any. I haven't. I haven't seen anything anywhere. Who knows? It's, usually, I uh, usually I, I have that information uh, firsthand from going to work and talking with people who know more about the subject. But uh, that's fair enough. I've just been Go talking ahead. to the walls, Matt. I've been talking to the walls. Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm giving you a little break from the walls, Joe. That's good. That's good. Uh, where are we going? What do we got? You want to do a whip around? You want to talk week 17? You want to talk you know, college I, I don't, playoff? I don't think we need quite a full rip, whip around because I don't okay. think that this week warrants one. You want to do some winners and losers from, from week 16? I feel like that's yeah. – I, I can pop open the NFL schedule here. I think with, with all the COVID games and all that stuff, it, w- it might be a little bit harder, not worth it to do a whip around. But I think a winners and losers might be a little bit um, – might be a little bit justified. I can start if you'd like okay. me to. Uh, I'm going to start with my loser, and I, th- I think there are a few options here. And I, I got to go with the Chargers. Um, okay. The Chargers are fighting for a playoff spot. They're playing. I know the Houston Texans have been a, a fairly proud team, if you want to call them that, all year. Uh, they've played some teams tough, but you had what was supposed to be a free square in a playoff race and just went late, laid an absolute egg. You let up 41 points. I know Davis Mills looks better than some people might have thought. He put up 41 points on you. Justin Herbert, uh, the stat line looked fancy, but he wasn't anything spectacular. You got like a career game out of Justin Jackson, and you, you lost 41 to 29. That was a that was a big-time spot for them that they needed to bounce back from a tough Chiefs loss with a big win and kind of reestablish themselves and boy did they just lay an egg so that that for me a team that has super bowl potential when they're playing their best had a chance to flex some muscles and just absolutely did the opposite uh i'll go with the loser first as well and for me it's the arizona cardinals uh who that's the other one i think the obvious become one become the biggest loser in in the form of three consecutive losses uh rams colts those are tough games lions is inexcusable uh, but this game against the colts Obviously, you're down DeAndre Hopkins. Your quarterback is trying to figure out life outside of him. They did a really good job of getting Chase Edmonds in the mix, returning from mm-hmm. um, his issue with his ankle and filling in for James Conner, who I believe has a heel issue. And Edmonds looked like maybe this team could scrape together enough offense to beat this Colts team. I mean, the Colts were banged up. You didn't have your man in the middle in uh, – in, um, who was out? Uh, Wasn't Quinn Nelson out? Uh, Quentin Nelson was out on the offensive side. I was thinking um, on the defensive side, linebacker, stud, captain. Uh, Darius Leonard? Uh, Darius Leonard was out on the uh, on the defensive side. It was essentially like the Jonathan Taylor show. You knew what he was going to do, and from his first touch of the ball game, he did exactly what he wanted to. MVP. Eclipsed, eclipsed the 100-yard mark again. I believe that the stat is they are 8-0 in games that he rushes for 100 yards. They are 0-6 in games that he rushes for less than 100 yards. So it's pretty simple what the Colts are going to try and do to you. But going back to the Cardinals being the loser here, um, not only is the division in jeopardy, I mean, they are sitting on 10 wins, but they're headed the wrong direction. You don't really know what they're going to be come playoff time. Kyler looks like he's dinged up every time he gets up from a run. they got the Cowboys and the Seahawks. So you got to think, Four straight losses going to Dallas, mm-hmm. taking that loss. You end the season with a win at 11 and six. Still a great season, but from what they were and what they opened up as, I believe seven yeah. and one uh, they opened up or eight and one, whatever it was. Um, they're my biggest loser right now, not just in the week, but in, in the crucible of like who can be what and who's falling short of that expectation, that real expectation that we have for teams. Like there's, 
12 teams that there's zero expectation of. You're mathematically eliminated. You're no mm-hmm. good. There are, let's say, another 10 teams who are, okay, I could see that team in a conference championship game. And then maybe there's six teams that you could say, okay, I could see that team in the Super Bowl. Maybe my list is a little longer than yours, whatever. The Cardinals have gone from a, I could see that team in the Super Bowl team to a, man, we'll see once it gets the playoff time team. There's just a lot of uncertainty around them. And the obvious questions come up, the low-hanging fruit of undersized quarterback dinged up late in the season, fired Mm -hmm. college head coach, what are you really? Um, I I still think they're a good football team. I still think it's a great collection of players. They're just my biggest loser right now. Yeah, I think – like it, you, you said it right there. It, if you look at this week in you know in an isolated incident, like a twenty-two to sixteen loss on a on a was it Saturday night, so not you know on a, on a weird day, mm-hmm. tough loss to a ball control team who runs the ball really well, and you know sometimes those just don't go your way against not only a tough ball control team, but the Colts are playing as good a football as probably anybody in football right now. Okay, whatever, that's a hard-fought loss. But we've been talking about this now, like you said, for, for weeks now. This isn't an, this isn't just an isolated incident. This isn't a one-week. The, the, they're being losers this week is a, a snowball effect from what we've yeah. been seeing from they the last couple. They have mounting issues. Yeah. It's, it's not just this week. If you look at just this one, okay, that's a tough loss, whatever. It's the fact that it just kind of seems to keep happening. And like with most teams, you, you see that loss to the Lions last week, and you're like, all right, you know what? We can shrug that one off. That happens sometimes to good teams. The NFL is fluky, but it felt different with them, and it continued this week. Um, I, I think, in my opinion, those were there were two very clear losers, and I think we, we hit both of them on the head. I actually think you can look through the schedule this week or last week, excuse me, and you you could pick out quite a few winners and, and come out with, with some teams that really needed to do big things and did. Um, I'm going to go with, I think, the most obvious one, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, okay. They had they been – on my list. Okay, they're, it, you're going to say a different one. And, again, it sounds like from your reaction that wasn't your number one. I think there's four or five different teams you can make the case for the biggest winners this week. This but was a self-affirming this, win by the Bills, yes, no doubt. This was, this was a – not only did they need the win in the standings – they needed this win in their heads. And yeah. you can tell that with some of the reactions. Like Stefan Diggs early on it was John at some Patriots fans. They were getting into it. Josh Allen had that rollout for the first down. What was it on fourth and whatever? It was, it was a big play that kind of Roll. sprung High that ball sidestep. Loved hey, it. Great play. Keep, don't do it again. Move. Exactly. Keep that. A couple of jo- Josh Allen couple across the field. I was going to say, jo- you did a couple of that, look at those in that game. That, that's Josh Allen's career. Like he, yeah. he is the definition of great play. Never do it again. Um, but they needed that one not only for their their spot in the in the division, but they needed that for their mental well being because not they, they lost the Patriots in the tough one at home. They lost that they came out flat against the Bucks, rallied, and then ended up losing that game again, that tough overtime. And it was it's kind of like when are we going to get over that hump? And they, I, I can't say they dominated that win because it was close, but they were in control of that game. It felt like most of the way there was they needed obviously convert on that fourth and one late and they did but they kind of controlled that game from start to finish and they they flexed their muscles in a big way and made me feel a little bit more comfortable on my belief in them as a Super Bowl contender after that one yeah and, and that's a great way to put it to go back to that line of demarcation of playoff team and Super Bowl contender they've sort of been dancing on that line over the last yeah. month and I feel like they took a big a major step, as you put it, for themselves and that mm-hmm. belief within uh, stepping out of the under the contender side of that line. Uh, that probably would have been that was on my list. It, it I liked it when I looked at it. 
Uh, but two others popped up before me. I'm going to give an honorable mention to the Cowboys, who just mm-hmm. continually kind of fly under the radar as one of the best teams in football. 11 wins. Ho-hum, 56-7. 56 points against a divisional rival. Like, the Washington football team didn't get off the bus, but still, mm-hmm. you got to give the Cowboys credit for doing what they did in primetime. Dak looks comfortable. His footwork is great. He's driving the ball downfield. Um, CD, I think, is one of the more exciting targets in the game. You got the two-headed monster in the backfield. And then the defense is nasty. Trevon Diggs with another pick. Micah Parsons blowing up plays with regularity. Like, they're a serious contender. And um, I want to give them my honorable mention. I don't want to go too deep on them because my biggest winner of the week is the Cincinnati Bengals. That's Uh, a big one. Now, they got got to put on a tee for them there, uh, having to go up against – a nobody third string quarterback, I believe. Josh Johnson was fresh off of who's practice squad. Uh, the ultimate it, journeyman. It doesn't matter. Patriot, I, I don't even know where. I don't even know when. I don't even know how. But the Bengals got it on a tee. The Ravens are continually this, um, just this hamstrung team, uh, pun intended there, because since the day the season kicked, like camp opened and you had two blown out knees uh, by your top two running backs in the first 20 minutes of the season, and it's just continued to follow them, whether it be COVID, injury, or otherwise. Uh, that was my lock of the week. I had the Ravens uh, catch, or, yeah, catching two. And I In thought, fairness I, to you, you had them before Tyler Huntley I like that with Lamar. I'll, I'll deal with that number with Huntley, but I was mm-hmm. not ready to lay that with Josh Johnson. <laughs> but the Bengals, um, taking a step towards their first divisional title in – quite possibly forever not only the fact that they got the win against the ravens but the the nature in which with they did it uh 500 plus passing yards for joe burrow 525 four touchdowns i believe it was the fourth most prolific day in the history of the nfl in terms of passing yards you mm-hmm. had both of your top wide receivers uh go crazy i mean t higgins was butting his head on 200 yards had two touchdowns um jamar chase i believe scored did he score twice did he score once i believe jamar he chase scored or, twice uh, Jamar Chase, seven for 125, uh, no touchdowns. Excuse me. For oh, really? Chase. Yeah. I think he but had two. A, another, another Maybe it was Higgins. Day. It was Higgins. Uh, Tyler, no, he got Tyler Boyd in the passing game and for a touchdown and Joe Mixon as well. Cincinnati's nasty. Cincinnati can be nasty. And so much of that is based off of having what I believe is a generational quarterback talent is it too Mm -hmm. early to say that maybe but when you're talking about the new guard of quarterbacks like the old guard being manning brady breeze uh you can throw roethlisberger in there roth perfect manning brady manning brady breeze roethlisberger uh being the old guard of quarterbacks all but brady have really let go of the rope on that the new guard of quarterbacks being uh mahomes allen and I think the next name I say Burrow's is Joe jumping Burrow. up there. I, I say it again. He's, I said he's jumping up there. He's getting himself. I, I in think that, he's. That I think he's the next name I say. We can have the Lamar conversation a different day. I don't want to do it right now. He's not the third guy, guy I want to give the ball with two minutes left in the game on the line. Um, we can have the Kyler conversation a different day. I think that's proving itself to be what it is right now in front of us. Um, who am Kyler I missing? is, is Derrick Rose to me. He's so, so good. I just don't know if he's ever going to be able to stay healthy. I like the comparison. I I, I think that, um, you know, something needs to be said about Russell Wilson being this transitionary sort of uh, uh, vanguard of the sport. But this season has really brought him back down to earth and said, okay, uh, 
you're not old guard. You're not new guard. You're still a you're still a dude. But like, yeah. how much of a dude are you? I, I'm starting to kind of ask questions there. I think in my eyes, uh, yeah, we can have the Justin Herbert conversation. I think if you're telling me Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, give me Burrow ten times out of ten. He just seems like the more developed guy. He seems like the more quarterbackial. I've used it before. I'll use it That's again. Good word. The quarterbackial in the way he carries himself. I, I, I got eyes. Race. I got eyes for Joe Cool, and I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, he's that, that game was so fun to watch. And it was like, it, it started out kind of like a little bit like a, a, you would expect an AFC North divisional game, like a little bit tight, a little bit back and forth. And Matt, like that Ravens defense, it, the offense is super banged up. The defense is a little banged up, but like they're mostly all there. I believe he just torched them. It, it was yeah. like, it, it wasn't the, the Ravens offense. You could not expect much of because of the quarterback situation because of the running. I mean, uh, Devonte Freeman is like their their top running back right now, and he's like fifty. Um, the defense is still kind of there, and Joe Burrow just absolutely put on a show against them. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't really understand why we haven't heard it yet. But Zach Taylor, you have to start giving him some credit for he, he's been the butt of jokes since he got that job because it was you know the joke was everybody who you know shook hands with Sean McVay was getting his <laughs> coaching jobs in the NFL because he did such a good job with the Rams, but like. Zach Taylor's done a great job with that offense. He, yeah. it's, it's, he has to start getting some credit as a head coach. Like I, I, I PB, for some, whatever reason still seems to be a butt of a joke, but like he's been really good. He's got that team on the, the cusp of winning an AFC North. And I know their opponents have had some injury problems this year, but the Bengals have taken advantage of those and uh, barring a pretty massive choke job, he's going to be a division champion. Mm. It's, it's been such a, uh, it's been such a immediate turnaround almost from the moment that they drafted Burrow. Yes, the draft before that, they went and got Jonah Williams, uh, the big tackle, to mm-hmm. protect them. Then they go out, they get a little receiver happy, and we kind of knocked them on that. But look at how that's playing out. Uh, Joe mm-hmm. Mixon has, has really had a season where he stepped to the forefront again. Um, I, I know we're having an offensive conversation here, and they're going to have to make some stops here coming down the stretch. But. It's that defense hasn't been bad this year, though. Like it hasn't been great, but that defense no. hasn't been brutal. It, it, hasn't. Um, it hasn't. It's probably going to let them down in the playoffs at some point. But like, that's something. If you're looking with, with where they are now, like next year, if they you know, they're probably picking middle of the draft. But if if you address some issues on defense, like you're looking at a team next year that's going to be a dark horse Super Bowl type team, a dark and horse like, Super Bowl type contender, and rightfully I'm so. Sure, I'm sure when the odds come out. Baltimore will be the divisional favorite because it'll be Lamar. Everyone will be yeah. healthy. They'll probably make some moves to, to shore up that offense. Um, but Cincinnati's going to have something to say for themselves. Pittsburgh, we'll see. Uh, if Russell Wilson's wearing a Pittsburgh Steelers uniform, I think that changes the conversation. And Cleveland, I hope it's Aaron Rodgers. Cleveland, just moments away from people talking about them as an AFC contender, um, they're going to be bottom feeders in the division again. It's yeah. Weird. It's. I, do, I don't want to call them quite a loser this week because that was a tough, hard-fought loss in Green Bay, but you just you can't go on. Yeah. With, you can't pay Baker. You just can't do it, and he's going to want money, and someone's going to offer money, and you have to move on at that position. You have to do something uh, else. Shout-out to Barstool Carl. Um, I know we, we reference the Barstool Chicago guys quite often here on the podcast. but they Cousin, cousin of friend of the pod, Matt Seeger. People forget Seeger's that. cousin is Carl? Yeah. Like they see each other on Christmas, cousin. Yeah, like he was at his wedding. Like I, I, yeah. And Carl, Carl hasn't been on the pod yet. Carl's not been on the pod. Hey yet. Seeks, hey Seeks, <laughs> hey Seeks. 
step it up. <laughs> um, that was a, that's just sorry. Uh, that was just an aside for friend of the podcast Matt Seeger. But we love uh, you, Red. But Barstool Carl put it uh, into jarring terms that made a ton of sense to me. He said, "Mitch." He always goes back to Mitch. Mitch Trubisky is better than Baker Mayfield, and I honestly, I honestly might, might I might I, be there. I might be there. Like Baker makes. We've like, had as much. We've had Baker the ups makes and downs. Just as Mitch. many we bad had, decisions, and and Mitch might have better tools than Baker. I don't think Mitch. I think Baker makes worse decisions than Mitch. That's what I'm saying. I, That's what yeah, I'm saying. Like Baker he makes, makes worse, worse decisions, decisions than Mitch. Baker makes just as many bad decisions as Mitch, and Mitch, I think, was more physically talented. But they're going to – I see them paying him because I don't know if – I think Cleveland so badly as a franchise, as a fan base, just wants to say that they have a quarterback. Bring Mitch and I, home. And I, Bring I'm not going to speak for those fans. I'm not going to speak for those fans because the last thing I would want is someone to say, hey, the Bears fans just want to say they have a quarterback, so they want to sign Mitch Trubit. Yeah. Like, no, don't, don't say that about me. Don't say that about my team. So I won't say that. I won't speak for Cleveland fans here. But I, I feel like there's a contingent that wants to believe in him still. He does have, I believe, next year is the fifth year. They're uh, they're just going to pick that up and say, let's see what you got. And, Probably have to, yeah. And and maybe he maybe he blows the doors off the thing or can he sustain some sort of success. Like we've seen it in spurts before. Maybe he can sustain some sort of success and then they overpay him and then it falls off a cliff because we've seen that movie before too. But man, it's it's dark days in Cleveland again. I think. Yeah, that's they're. Like, like we talked about the Cardinals being a lo- like a loser of the week, not just because of this week's isolated incident, but just kind of an overall thing, like how things have been trending. You put the loser of the quarter the century category. is you're giving that to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, we're kind of right there with them. Um, I, I do want <laughs> no, to no, give no, one no, 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 we're not. No, I get, we've been to a Super no, Bowl. No, we're not. Because and go ahead, keep. I'll let you continue your point because I want to pull up a tweet here that I saw yesterday. That's fair. I just I wanted to give an honorable mention of a winner also this week. Um, should have went with my gut was my lock pick there, my original lock pick. I faded him, but the, we talked about the Buffalo bills establishing themselves as not only, you know, a, a playoff team, but I thought that effort kind of catapulted them back into the Super Bowl conversation. I think the Tennessee Titans did the same thing. Uh, they got a little bit healthy. AJ Brown came back into the lineup, which, uh, like we've said about, uh, Ryan Tannehill, like he's a fine quarterback, but when he's your best offensive player, you're not going to win much. He finally mm-hmm. got some help back and was able to just kind of go back to his game, game managing game, not asked to do, do too much. AJ Brown had a huge game. We're both very high on the 49ers. Uh, Tennessee came from behind, won that game, big time win. They, they started to get healthy. And I thought that was one they really needed for their confidence too. So that, that for me is, is a Buffalo esque win of, all right, like, no, they're a team with a chance in playoffs than to now like they're a team that I could legitimately see representing the AFC. And on the other side of that coin, um, unfortunately, because I root for the guy, Chicago, I tell it might, that might be the last, that might be the last snap we saw Jimmy Garoppolo take as a San Francisco Niner, San Francisco 49ers quarterback. Will he get an opportunity somewhere else? Yes. There's yes. always demand for quarterbacks. Jimmy has shown the ability to manage a game and not only manage a game, but manage a season, get his team to the Super Bowl. You can frame the stats in a certain way that tells you he is a top end starting quarterback. You can also frame the stats in the way that says this guy, you can't win with him. He hurt his thumb. It sounds like it's going to be Trey Lance this week. If Lance does anything productive, you ride the hot hand in the playoffs. Yeah. And I think that I think that Kyle Shanahan's the ride the hot hand type guy. So if he can get what he wants out of Trey Lance, I, I don't know if there's going to be any reason to rush Jimmy back. Um, no, so, I, I'm with you. I think there's there is a very decent chance we've seen the last of, of Garoppolo, at least in a starter's yeah. role in a 49ers uniform. Uh, I just I, I pulled up the tweet here, Matt, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pose it to you in question form here. Could you tell me? 
over the past five seasons, who has the worst combined record in the NFL? Past oh five seasons. Um, it's a win percentage of 27.8%. 27.8%. The New York Jets. Yes, but tied with another team. It's the, and it's the, so the Jets the, are the Jet the Jets are actually the second worst team due to the head to head. The worst team okay. is a different team. Same is record. It, it's it's got to be a team. And, it's going to surprise me, right? Twenty two and fifty seven. Okay, well, it's not the Bears because the Bears have a twelve win season in there, and they've been too good. Um, the Bears are not on this list. That's why I'm sort of outlining it because you said thank the last God. quarter century. Yeah. Yes, we've had some heartache, but the last five years belong to these four teams. Yeah. Jacksonville. Uh, Jacksonville is two games better than the Jets at 24 and 55 with a 30% win rate. Are the uh, Giants down there? The Giants have the worst winning percentage wow. in the last five seasons at 22 and 57. So when you think it's bad here in Chicago, it could be worse. It's bad some other places too. City of New York. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. MetLife. 44 total wins between those two teams over the last five seasons. <laughs> Good God. It's bad over there. It could be worse, yeah. guys. That made me feel better. Yeah. Maybe I'll enjoy that Seattle win a little bit more now. Relativity's a son of a bee. Uh, Matt, we got to take things to the college ranks, which is something we haven't done in about a month here on the Moose and Runes podcast. It's been a bit. So this, is, this is your sweet spot. I always hate the layoff between meaningful football and meaningful football in terms of college football because hashtag shit bowl season is not for me. Um, I love it. It's I, so fun. I know, but like, but like perfect example. I don't care what Auburn's twos are going to bring against Houston. I had it on in the background while I was doing things mm. around the house, but I'm not sitting down to watch 60 minutes of that game. I will sit down and watch 60 minutes of the college football playoff games, each one of them, and I will do the same for a number mm. of the New Year's Six games. Um, so let's talk about some good football. Let's talk about those semifinal matchups. Let's make some picks here. What, um, how are you reinvigorating yourself here? to get back into college football season, to, to really wake up the echoes, for lack of a better term here, Matt. What's, Irish. Uh, what's, really, what's really bringing you to each one of these semifinal matchups? I, I mean, the, the Cincinnati-Alabama one sells itself. It's, it's what we see every year with Alabama seemingly in the playoffs. It's, it's kind of David versus Goliath. And I actually think this David – well, I don't think they're going to win that football game. I do think they have enough talent, especially defensively, to – Again, I don't want to say give Alabama problems because I don't mm-hmm. know what what exactly I mean. But like, I think they have enough to know. keep that. I, can we put yeah. that? Can we put that on a shirt? I don't know exactly what I mean. But it's like I, I do think they're a good enough team, especially on the defensive end. I think they're well enough coached by a guy in Luke Fickle who knows what it takes to win. Granted, not as a head coach, but as a coordinator at the highest level. Like he's not some guy who's been a, a journeyman group of five you know, coach his whole life. Like he's been a guy who's been at the highest stage. Like, I I think he's going to have that team prepared. And I do think they are a good football team. Uh I don't think they're going to be able to score with Alabama because I I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball that much. And I I think Des Ritter is a a very nice quarterback, but I don't think he's going to be able to beat Alabama when he's asked to throw, you know, 40 times. But I think defensively they're going to play well enough. And I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do against Alabama's offense, who, as we saw was a you know, flipped a switch against Georgia. I, I don't love that term, but it kind of seems like that's what they did. You know, flipped a switch against Georgia and looked like the Alabama we got used to. And I mean, Georgia, Michigan seems like the exact opposite game. And I'm excited to watch yep. it because that's just going to be big boy football. Um, uh, I would I, advise I, in terms of, I just want to touch on that Alabama uh, matchup. Yeah. Some of the things you said there, I would advise to just temper your expectations for that game. Because to me, 
all of the things you said are true. It could possibly be something exciting. I think there's a better chance that that football game is over in the first 15 minutes. Oh, there's a very decent chance of that. I'm not saying there isn't. I think that Alabama is going to take Cincinnati behind the shed and is going to tan them. I really think that that's what's going to happen between these two teams because – Yes, Luke Fickle, great head coach, going to move forward, be one of the great head coaches over the next decade, yada, yada, yada. He's going to be given great chances, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. You're going against the greatest of all time. And if you are playing the game of chess that college football is, usually it's speed chess. Usually you've got four days to figure out your opponent and how you want to game plan against them Mm -hmm. and how you want to get things done. And nobody's better at speed chess than Nick Saban and getting ready for these teams and getting his teams ready and getting the most out of his teams. But when he has time to sit and look at the board and think about every move and look at his opponent's move and then counter move that and then look at his opponent's other option and counter move that and look at his opponent's other option, Nick Saban has done nothing but eat Little Debbie's Hostess cupcakes. Uh, They're the oatmeal cream pies. Oatmeal cream pies, thank you. And Mm -hmm. think about this football game. He is going to be so prepared. His team is going to be so prepared. This is how you celebrate the holidays in Tuscaloosa. You get ready for your opponent. And I think that this is a largely outmatched opponent in Cincinnati. I'm looking at the scoreboard 56-14. I will say, well, if that happens, Joe, I would not be surprised at all whatsoever. That just, like, Alabama's that good. Them doing that to anybody wouldn't shock me. The, I believe the defensive coordinator the year that Ohio State went and kind of punched Alabama in the mouth in the Sugar Bowl in the first year of the college football playoff, the defensive coordinator for Ohio State was one Luke Fickle. And while he doesn't have those dogs necessarily with him, that that level of you know mm-hmm. five-star recruit obviously on his roster. But just from a game-planning standpoint. It, it, from a game-planning standpoint, he, when given, because like, I mean, Urban Meyer was not a defensive guy, that was Luke Fickle's defense and all that kind of stuff. When given that much time, he came up with a game plan that I guess didn't stop Nick Saban, but at least contained him, contained his Alabama offense. Granted, you're, I think you're looking at a completely different Alabama since that point has started recruiting a different type of quarterback and all that, and they're, they're, they're a different group than they used to be. Um, but you're looking also at an Alabama offense going up again, again, wouldn't shock me in the least if Alabama won big because they are Alabama, but I'm trying to just take a look at the opposite side, play devil's advocate here. You're looking at a Bama group that, yes, they have five stars at every position too deep, and they're, they're, it's, it's next man up, and those next men up are going to be really good and all that kind of stuff. They're going to be without – Bryce Young's their best player uh, on offense. They're going to be without, without their second best player on offense in John Mechie, who's tore, who tore his ACL. That's a big hit to the receiver room, and I, I know that, again, they're going to have somebody come up and fill his place. Jamison Williams is really good, but whoever's up next is, is going to be very good, but probably not John Mechie. And what Cincinnati does really well is they have two, probably a first-round cornerback and, and maybe a second-round cornerback uh, in their secondary. They're going to be able to give themselves a chance with the talent they have in that secondary. So I, I'm very intrigued in that matchup. If John Mechie was playing, maybe I'd feel a little bit differently, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Cincinnati's secondary can keep mm-hmm. up with a little bit of a banged-up receiver room for Alabama. And, and, you know, when I say 56-14, sometimes 56-14 isn't all that different from a uh, 35-21 game that was a little bit more respectful. That was three, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, think that, I think that this is a, like I said, first 15 minutes, sudden change, don't let go of the rope situation for Cincinnati, but it's easy to let go of the rope when things start moving fast against Alabama. So we'll mm-hmm. see how that one plays out. I, I see it the same way as you. 
regardless of how it goes, I see points and I see the exact opposite in the other matchup. I'm jacked up, and I, I know we were kind of classically conditioned as kids to to give it the muck fish again, but I'm really excited to see what Michigan can do. I, I think that I still hate him. I, I hate him too, but I just think that from an analysis standpoint, there's just a belief around those guys that they earned in that that game against Ohio State that you know you haven't seen that belief at Michigan in in a decade, in two decades, in a decade mm-hmm. and a half, however you want to, however you, whatever time period you want to put on it. It's been a while since Michigan was feeling themselves, and I think they're feeling themselves going into this matchup. I, I get that more from <laughs> than, than I do from any team in the college football playoff of before yeah. even Alabama. That Michigan has this belief. Not that Alabama doesn't have a belief, because but they just they're Alabama. But that they belief always, is understood. That belief yes, that, is yes, it's it's almost not even a belief. It's it's yes. more of like a knowing who we um, are. It's an identity, not a belief. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see their matchup with Georgia because I think both teams it's it's going to be strength on strength. It's not one team runs it's it's not, you know, one strength, one weakness, all that kind of stuff. It's it's two teams who do the same thing really well kind of going at each other and, and who who's going to be the stronger big boy football. Like but big boy football team. I I don't think either team has all that great of a quarterback. I think they have some good talent on the outside. I think they run the ball really well. They stop the run really well. I, I don't I have no idea what to expect from this football game. And honestly, I don't think there's an outcome other than this turning into a, a track meet that's, you know, forty nine forty two. There's now not we know like, that's exactly what's gonna happen. There, there's not many outcomes that would surprise me. If you told me that Georgia went and beat up Michigan and controlled the football and won this game, you know, 28 to 17, something like that. It wasn't doubt. I believe you. If you told me Michigan came out, punched him in the mouth early and Georgia kind of folded and won, you know, 28, 17 themselves wouldn't necessarily shock me all that much. My, my gut feeling tells me you're going to, as we talked about it after the, the Bama Georgia game, you're going to get a little bit more of a motivated, pissed off Georgia team. Um, I'm excited to see what that looks like because I don't think we saw that against Alabama, but Michigan's been kind of motivated all year. Um, and once they won that game at home against Ohio State, it kind of created a belief. They've been a little bit of a, a different team away from home, but this won't be a true road game, even though you'll probably see quite a few Georgia fans in Miami. Uh, I, I have no idea what to expect from this one. It's going to be that, that game's so intriguing to me, and I, I'm, I'm glad. I think that one's the night game, right? I'm glad that one's the night game because yes, I think that is a watch game. more of it. Yeah. Um, so give me your matchup. Who, who comes out of these two just straight up? No, uh, no I think it's Georgia-Bama. I think it's going to be Georgia-Bama. Um, I think it's Michigan-Bama. Fair enough. I, I wouldn't tell you. I don't. It wouldn't shock me if that was that was the matchup either. I just. And you're not champion? Yeah, uh, Alabama. Bama, roll damn tight. <laughs> it's roll tight. Do, do I need the uh, – I'm right there with you, and when I inevitably beat you in the season-long uh, uh, fall NFL college football betting oh, contest, we're, we're calling shots, huh? Might need the might need the Bama true visits again. Those were a big hit. Those were oh, a big yeah? hit around. Those worked uh, out for you. Yeah, those worked out. Those were okay. two dozen two dozen of those, and uh, your boy was your boy was set for a good while uh, following my winnings last year. So there you go. Um, but uh, that is your that is your college football playoff preview. Uh, Hopefully it is. Give me a give me a New Year's Six game that's not Notre Dame that jumps out. He's like, hey, I'm actually kind of excited to watch that one. Um, is there one that kind of sticks out to you? I'm yeah, going to pull up the schedule, schedule now myself. So have, uh, Obviously, for us, the, the Notre Dame Oklahoma State, and not even just for us. I think Notre Dame Oklahoma State one of the has, has the nation's eyes the because of the storyline, because of you know Marcus Freeman and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that should objectively be a pretty great one. But, I am really. 
I'm really excited to watch the Rose Bowl. Not just because it's the Rose Bowl, but because of what Utah did to Oregon and then what they did to them two weeks later. Like Utah was a Utah was a punch you in the mouth football team. Like uh, we don't care. We don't care that you're the more storied uh, school. We don't care that you're supposed to be in the college football playoff. We don't give a damn about anything on your side. Mm-hmm. We got a group of dogs that's going to come out here and punch you in the mouth. And I'm not sure that this Ohio State team likes getting punched in the mouth. We no. saw them get punched in the mouth against Oregon early in the season. Saw how that worked out. Saw them get punched in the mouth against Michigan. Saw how that worked out. It's going to be a statement if Utah, in the Rose Bowl, can punch Ohio State in the mouth, that's not just a statement on the surface. That is a Pac-12. That's a program statement. That's a program statement. That's a Pac-12 versus Big Ten statement because you got a coach like Lincoln Riley coming to the Pac-12. This is like mm-hmm. Pac-12 Renaissance season. This could be a step in the right direction for the for that conference. Do you see Utah's uniforms for that game? I did not. Are they going all black? Oh, check, they're all check black them. No, they're black. they're all they're all white on on, okay. uh, on Twitter. And they have they've incorporated a rose into the helmet logo. Do do yourself a Google or search on Twitter the Utah Rose Bowl uniforms. They're fantastic. Is I'm also like excited that? for that one because I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in Pasadena, Let's California go. at the Rose Bowl. I didn't know that. Um, thanks to friends of the pod, Rob Gallick and Allie Mason for for oh, setting this up that. nice. We love uh, that. But we we will be in Pasadena for the oh, Rose Bowl. I that don't is like a the unis. I don't like you don't unis. like them. Oh, I love the, them. No, I like the uni- the numbers. You look like Wisconsin. Okay, so mainly I love them for the helmets. I think the rest. The Uniform is a nice all white. Really I love good, the helmet with the UU and the rose in there. I, I think I'm talking about this being a hard nosed football team, and they got soft edges on their numbers now, Matt. It's the little like, thing. You say they look like Wisconsin. You you see Wisconsin, you think soft? No, but no, I think, I think like, team that's going to try and punch you in the mouth. Yeah, but I think like slow and like not explosive. I think like. I you think might not like need to be all that explosive ten, to beat this Ohio State I team. Guess. It's not going to have Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. I, I guess, um, but that's that's one that I'm excited about. And you know, that's gonna be fun you, you touch you touch on something important there. And I'm not going to wax poetic about these players and their uh, their responsibilities to their teams and their teammates because it's big business at this point. We can't kid ourselves. If you're going to the NFL, the Rose Bowl is a gray area for me because. I don't know. I, I probably want to play in the Rose Bowl, but if I'm in the Meineke Car Care Chick Fil A Chicken Tenders Bowl, and I'm going to be making a someone's going to be paying me a guaranteed ten million dollar contract yeah. four months from now, I'm sorry, guys. Like there's there are bigger there are bigger matters at hand than your enjoyment on a random mid December bowl game. So yeah, I'm I not going to I'm not going to totally go hard on you. those guys. I'm not going to go totally hard on those you. guys. This the NCAA. These schools, these NIL deals, they have completely removed the the facade of amateurism. So I am not going to put this amateurism on these young men who are businessmen now. Okay, you're. I don't care if you're 18 years old. I don't care if you're 22. If you got a million dollar NIL deal, or if you got millions coming down the pipe at you through the NFL draft. I am not going to cast the first or last stone. Um, the, these these guys have these guys have amazing opportunities in front of them. Do they have a responsibility to their team to a certain extent? Yes, but we can always look back and point to Jalen Smith. We can always look mm-hmm. back and point to other guys whose lives were changed playing in a meaningless bowl game. I'm not going to call the I'm not going to call the Rose Bowl meaningless because that's again that's the six, one that might make New Year Six a lot of prestige. Mm-hmm. Um, Tough decision for those guys, I'm sure. I, I'm sure that that was not an easy decision for those guys. But um, 
it's part of the reason that I'm also out on hashtag shit bowl season is because what do I care about the twos? Like no disrespect to those guys who work hard all season and now have an opportunity, but it's not what gets me to sit down for 60 minutes. That's right. Hey, I'm not saying like uh, this afternoon, I think Maryland and uh, Virginia Tech kick off at 115. I'm not sitting uh, sitting down and watching yeah. 60 minutes of that because I'm working, Reed, if you're listening. I'll be working. I definitely won't be sitting <laughs> just watching college football at home. Um, but no, like I, I – I'm starting to like bowl season because I'm actually starting. I've always liked bowl season, but I'm taking more of a a different approach to it, especially this year. We're starting to get to the point where this isn't, and and I'm not saying you have to like it, or I'm not saying this is why you should like it. I'm saying this is why I like it. I just accepted the fact. And I also, I I always think this is why bowl season isn't going anywhere. People keep Mm -hmm. saying bowls are dying. I don't think that's true at all. I think they've been pretty successful in terms of viewership and all that this year. I'm starting to look at bowl season as uh, this is not the last game of the 2021 Notre Dame Fighting Irish season. This is your first look at the 2022 Notre Dame Fighting Irish, That's- or you're you're sitting not since obviously not the playoff, but like this is the first look we get at next year's Penn State, or whatever. I, when you start to look at it that way, like yeah, we're going to see a good amount of Tyler Buckner in the Fiesta Bowl against a. Granted, they they've lost some guys due to. Uh, defensive coordinator opt-outs, all that stuff. But like, what was pretty good Oklahoma State defense? And we're going to probably see a good amount of what he can do. Kyron Williams opted out, and that's a bummer, but I don't blame him. But now we're going to get to see what, you know, Logan Diggs and Chris Tyree do in the backfield. Kyle Hamilton yes. hasn't played a while. We, they're going to have, you know, some other guys in, at safety. Don't know what you're going to see. Like, you're, this is a, a nice chance to see some some building blocks for the 2022 team. And I know I just said Notre Dame there because that's obviously the team I know. But if for, if for any team you're watching, but that, this but is a look exactly at next year's it, team. That's exactly it's a jump on. Sp- and that, if excited, you look at it that way, yeah, I'm excited, excited for next year. See, you're excited to see a little bit of next year of your team. And I think yes. that goes for everybody and their team. You, you get excited about your bowl game because regardless of who's playing, who's not, it, it's a look at some of these guys. And I can feel that about Notre Dame and not – Really, anybody? And that is to- that is totally fair, and I don't blame you for it. Yeah, couldn't. Uh, what do we got? We got locks. We got. Um, I think we got locks. Uh, yeah, let's get into some locks. What do you got this week? Uh, Matt lost last week. I lost last week. I. Uh, I had last one Ravens. was a uh, last week was our toilet bowl. Uh, I still you had the Ravens. I had the Chargers. I maintain the one game lead at ten and six. Matt sitting at nine and seven. Matt, what do you got? We're going with the Irish, Joe. We're, we're laying the two with the Irish. The home team in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. I, I'm, I'm trying to also just keep this as unbiased as I can. Oh, okay. Notre Dame had yeah, no, but Notre Dame. What, let me I'm, let me finish. I'm going to keep this as unbiased as I can. You can't Oklahoma see him, but State, he has a face painted right now. I, I do. Uh, Oklahoma State's now, you know, without their defensive coordinator. I believe I saw their their running back is opting out. They have some, I believe, some defensive players banged up as well. Their quarterback Spencer Sanders, if you watch that Big Twelve championship game, is not very good. Notre Dame hasn't really. Uh, they they had Kyle Hamilton opt out, but Kyle Hamilton hasn't played the last six weeks of the year, and that defense has still been really good. Kyron Williams opted out; that hurt a little bit, but they have some depth in the backfield there, and pretty much just about everybody's playing. Um, and that the the whole Brian Kelly situation, Marcus Freeman taking over, that has made this much more of a finish off the season strong note than let's see what we got for next year type note for them at least I think so mm-hmm. I think you see a team that very much has a lot of motivation to go out and win this game and, and Freeman said it in a bunch of different interviews like Notre Dame hasn't won a major bowl game in like 30 years and this is yeah. like that, that's a big sticking point for him and this group and all that and I just I, 
bowl games are a lot of the times who has more to play for, uh, who, who's kind of in a better spot in terms of their program finishing the year on a higher note. And that's, that's Notre Dame in just about every regard in this one after Oklahoma State had the big letdown in the Big 12. Um, so I, I think Notre Dame wins this one fairly handedly because I don't think Oklahoma State has all that much to play for. They have a bunch of opt-outs. Their defensive coordinator's gone. Their quarterback's not very good. So, so I like the Irish. In this uh, I can't argue with you. I, I would say to, to somewhat virality uh, amongst Notre Dame circles, uh, tweeted when all the craziness was going on with Brian Kelly, uh, something along the lines of, I don't care where they're playing. I don't care who they're playing. It's Irish by a million. And I stand behind that. I really think that this is going to be a football team playing with a lot of passion, playing with a lot of want to in a season where that, uh, or excuse me, at a time in the season where that comes at a premium. And if you come out against a hungry Notre Dame team, a hungry for no reason Notre Dame team, you might get your you might get your doors blown off if you if, yeah. if you don't if you don't match that intensity and I think that that's what could happen in that match. I think that's a team that wants to change the narrative of their program and I yeah. think a big win in a, a quote unquote it's be a, big it's be, let's a big and a New Year's Six game. It's gonna be a that changes win. program. I think I think all those guys want to flip a, a metaphorical bird uh, down there to to Baton Rouge real quick. I would as agree. Well. Um, what my picks for, for the week. I'm gonna keep it in the NFL. I'm going with the. Uh, with the Two-Face. This is going to be Joey Two-Face. Last week, we were riding the Ravens. They scorned us. This week, we're going against them. Rams laying three and a half against Baltimore. Keep an eye on that number as news, Joey continues, uh, as news continues to come out here. It uh, does sound like Lamar Jackson is going to practice today, today being Wednesday, uh, which bodes well, obviously, for his Sunday availability. I'm not sure if that three and a half is a Lamar number or if that's a non-Lamar number, so... Uh, maybe buy it now, maybe wait, but I like it at three and a half. I think this is a Rams team with everything in the world to play for. I do think that their best is better than just about anybody. Are they at uh, home? Do, this is at home. This is in okay. LA laying three and a half Baltimore. I just, this is, this is more of a fade Baltimore pick than it is a pro. I, I am very pro Rams right now. I think they're my, I don't think they win the NFC, but I think they're my favorite team to watch in the NFC right now. Uh, Cooper Cup Makes doing sense. what he's doing. Uh, a lot of the Sony Michelle stepping up as a running back. Stafford having some success, but still being Staffordy at times. It's very entertaining the way they play. But I think this is more of a Baltimore fade than anything. Baltimore has been, every season, there's the team that's snake bitten. Injured from day one, injured to the final day of the season, COVID added on top of it. Mm-hmm. It just, it's been Murphy's Law. Can go wrong, did go wrong, and I think it continues to go wrong for them. They lose big on the road in LA. I can't say I disagree with that pick. I, I think I like that one a lot as well. Let's now get hot. Let's get back three on three the right track. I, uh, Let's jump back I, on it. Let's jump back on it. I, I do on more of a little bit of a serious note here. I'm not sure in your early days working with, you know, working around the, the Chicago media landscape, uh, if you ever crossed uh, paths with Jeff Dickerson. Um, I personally yeah. did not, but I, I know through a lot of people that I that I've worked with uh, have. And then Jeff passed away from from colon cancer. I believe it was yesterday. Um, this is comes three years after they lost uh, his wife. I believe it was to breast cancer mm-hmm. so that leaves their their 11 year old son with um, obviously without his parents. Um, there, there's a GoFundMe going around on Twitter. I, I, I've retweeted from the Moose and Runes account from from David Kaplan's account, but. It's, a, it's incredible. Go look at any Chicago, not just sports media, any Chicago media person's Twitter account. They've tweeted out the GoFundMe. They've tweeted out their great stories of Jeff Dickerson. Um, so go out, donate whatever you can. Uh, it, it's going to a great cause. It's going to a child who now has unfortunately lost both of his parents. Um, and keep him, his family, all that good stuff in your prayers. 
Yeah, um, I had very limited interaction with JD, more just kind of walking around the city, walking through the studio, um, mm-hmm. knowing him through Cap, but always admired his work and uh, the level-headedness he brought to um, to Bears fans and to the way that he crafted his stories and the way that he held those responsible, accountable through his words. He was by all accounts and every estimation and anyone that's ever dealt with him a sweet gentleman and um we send prayers to his family um to as you said his son and uh it's just a unthinkable tragedy that's that's come upon his family once again and we send our prayers and we send our support and again hit up moose and runes on twitter you'll see that retweet of the gofundme if you do want to uh help out if you do want to contribute and uh if you can only contribute prayers those are appreciated as well but uh we will sign off with uh with that somber note of uh sending our our love and prayers to the dickerson family and and the loss that they've that they've incurred matt and uh well said by you and uh appreciate you as always matter here on the moose and roots podcast episode 235 it is playoff time it is college football playoff time there's only one place to be that's with us on the moose and roots podcast We'll see you in 2022. I am Joe. Happy is New that, Year, Joseph. Is that true? Yeah. That's, that's, that's it. That's it for the year. Oh, happy, happy birthday to my fiance, too. She doesn't listen. Oh, to yeah, you know, happy I saw that on Instagram show. while you were talking earlier. I, sometimes I, I scroll Instagram while you're talking, and I saw cover, you uh, had a nice little Just got to cover post. all my bases. Just got to cover all my bases. Happy birthday, Shelby. Happy birthday, Shelby. And with that, we say goodbye to Moose and Moose. 235 for Matt. I am Joe Matt. Say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.